0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the professional sports talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jack Murphy. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today's episode is going to be very special because I am actually launching my YouTube channel today. I don't really know what's going to happen with it in the future, or what I'm planning on doing with it entirely just yet. I do have a lot of exciting off season content planned and I will preview some of it in today's pod. I actually am recording today's pod on my brand new camera. Uh, I, there is a small chance, I guess, that I, this never sees the light of day. This footage that is, and I just never uploaded on YouTube because it's kind of last second, and I kind of don't know what to put in the background. I doubt you guys just want a thirty to forty minute video of me just talking into a camera. Um, I don't think anyone would be interested interested in that, especially not myself. That's just not really the content I was looking for being put out there. So we're gonna figure out the logistics of that today. That'll that's gonna be my homework on top of my you know, very much literal homework um, from my school, and then we'll figure out all the details of that. I'll keep you guys updated with it. Um, Either way, I'm probably just going to link the YouTube channel in this episode's description. I'll probably be posting something at professional sports talk on Instagram about it. So you guys will know more about it then. I still need to get used to looking at this stupid thing. But again, you guys might not even see me looking at this. You guys may never see this footage at all. So I'm not going to stress about it too much. I'm just going to see where this goes. You guys know the rest. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest and greatest of the conference championship games. It was a hell of a weekend, maybe not quite as you know much of a banger of divisional week, but no complaints whatsoever. They're both three-point games, extremely close. I nailed the spread of the Rams Niners game. Um, I said the Rams were going to win 24 to 21. So I'll take it. I was pretty damn good. I don't think anyone saw what was going to happen with the Bengals and that Kansas City game. But of course, we'll get to that. I guess right now, why not? Let's let's jump right into it. So first, what an absolute stunner of a game, obviously. I expected the Bengals to keep it close. I like them to cover. If you listened to my last episode, you would know that. But I mean, I really didn't see this coming. I don't think anyone really could have seen this coming, especially with how the Chiefs offense played last week. They were just on fire on a different level. Let's really start with what went wrong for the Chiefs and why it went so wrong. Um, I'll get into, you know, there's a few factors. Of course, I'll get into the Mahomes bit of it. Um, but first, let's talk about the decision making and a combination and in connection with the play calling. The Chiefs were running all over Cincinnati in the first half. Um, I really didn't like how they got away a from that a bit too much in the second half. Let's be honest. They couldn't really get their feet under them to start so it was kind of hard to establish that run but it just became very predictable a lot of you know running on first downs passing on third and second second and third downs excuse me and the collapse truly started right before halftime uh, seconds before halftime really the Bengals just scored their first touchdown of the game off an amazing Samal JP ryan scamper uh good for him seeing that he's still doing it in the league he's been around for quite some time uh and then of course the chiefs drive right down the field after that um it was 21 to 10 in the chief's favor the cheetah gets out in the flat with the ball but he can't quite get to the goal line it was amazing play um hustle play made by eli apple and there was two guys out there And it was a bad decision by Patrick Mahomes. He maybe just should have thrown into the dirt. Um, Either way, they chose to take that risk of trying to get a touchdown on those final seconds of the half rather than making it a field goal. So going into the half, it stays 21 to 10 rather than 24 to 10 or even possibly 28 to 10, which of course is, you know, a drastic difference, especially when you're playing a team like the Chiefs. So just like the last time we saw these these two teams meet excuse me the chiefs offense absolutely stalled out in the second half you got to give a lot of credit to the Bengals' defense particularly their secondary for creating a couple coverage sacks Uh, jesse bates had another unreal game but i'll get to that in just a little bit shortly after the half and two punts five plays each and a cincinnati field goal later bj hill picked off patrick mahomes on the second play of that of that Kansas City drive since he then mar- s- stormed down the field Jamar Chase had a touchdown and successful two-point conversion or after another s- a successful two-point conversion. And just like that, the game was 21-21. Um, crazy how fast things flipped just like that. So again, just r- keep in mind how important and how big of a missed opportunity that play was before halftime, where obviously they could still be up b- by a field goal right now, the Chiefs being that or, you know, up by a whole touchdown. So, I mean, we pretty much know the rest. The Chiefs offense continued to struggle. Uh, after their first three and out, they were given they were gifted a Burrow INT, and that just led to another three and out. Finally, there was one more Kansas City punt in there, and both offenses did just enough to get a field goal, and of course, overtime came. And let's be honest, the Chiefs won the coin toss. We've seen this happen time and time again, um, whether they've been on, you know, their, the good side of it or the receiving end of it, however you want to put it. So many of these games, too many of these games, frankly, once the ch- that one team wins the coin toss, it's just over. And I think a lot of people, once the Chiefs did win that coin toss, including myself, absolutely rid it is over. Obviously, we just saw the Chiefs offense struggle tremendously for numerous drives before that. But just knowing who you're watching, knowing the type of quarterback, knowing the type of team that we've seen be able to, you know, turn it on at any given moment and never take their foot off the gas. I was frankly just in full belief that they were going to find a way to win this game. They were going to drive down the field and score even with all those mishaps. And, you know, it's still the Chiefs at home. They've got to wake up. And instead, Patrick Mahomes kept playing like his hair was on fire, like his feet were on fire, whatever you want to say. Um, and Jesse Bates made the play of his life. Uh, Mahomes threw a deep ball down to Tyreek Hill kind of a long crossing route Jesse Bates perfectly punched that ball got his hand in there and then I believe is Vaughn Bell the other safety I could be wrong I think it was 24 I think that was Vaughn Bell who ended up picking off the ball Burrow drives down the field all he needs is Evan McPherson field goal the rookie is cold-blooded he pulls it off and the rest is history now the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl for the first time in I believe it was 33 years if I'm not mistaken 1988. That's, that'd be 33, right? Oh, God, it's 2022, 34. I don't know. You got what I'm trying to say. I'm going to get a little sippy, sippy of my. Did I just say fucking Jesus Christ? Why did I just say that? Okay, I'm just going to drink my shit and shut up. That was heinous. Sorry, guys. Now, getting back to Mahomes and what I was saying about him playing like his hair was on fire, he really played like early season Mahomes in this one. The second half, he has to take a lot of blame. Obviously, there was other issues between the run game. Play calling wasn't as creative as you normally see it on the Andy Reid-led football team. Um, but I just want to say there were numerous occasions where he left pockets early. He was making bad reads. Uh, had. All right. I don't think. I think they're done. I think it was just a couple barks. barks were good. He made bad reads. And. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the best ways to, to put it is, honestly, he just played like his feet were on fire, like his hair was on fire. He looked frantic out there. He looked nervous. He did not look composed at all. Um. Pretty much the polar opposite of what Joe Burrow was doing out there. He just always looked cool, calm, and collected. Always looked like he was, you know, ready to go back out there and score another touchdown, even if, you know, he wasn't entirely succeeding at that. Mahomes could not have looked more different. Mahomes was frantic. He was scrambling. He was all over the place. And, again, that's just absolutely being displayed when he's getting clean pockets and he's choosing to turn his back and you know run out of there when he could have just stepped up and made some throws there are numerous occasions where he just flat out not even missed a guy because he wasn't even going for them but just missed a read. there was a times where i forget i think it was a third and sixth i want to say that was an incompletion of byron pingle i can't remember the exact time i want to say it was late in the third quarter um mahomes he kind of faded back in a pocket and then when, by the time it was a little too late, chose to step up. There was tons of protection around him. It was actually one of the times where I was like, thank God he's stepping up in the pocket. There was great protection around him. Tons of space, no one was even near him. And he tried forcing a ball into Byron Pingle instead of Tyreek Hill, who was hip for hip with a DB over the top. And I don't know, when you have the fastest guy in the National Football League hip for hip with a DB, that's open in the NFL. You have to give him a shot. I totally thought he could have. And I t- totally think it was a missed opportunity there. Um, getting back to some of the other parts to blame of this complete collapse and disaster is, I already alluded to this earlier, but his play calling really didn't help. I brought up how effective the run was earlier on and it stayed that way, but it was so predictable how they used it. It was run on first, throw, throw. It was so disappointing, especially again, like I said, to see that from an Andy Reid led football team, who's supposed to be one of the great geniuses in this sport, um, I will say, though, in that same aspect, I don't think people are giving enough credit to the Bengals' defense. They actually played a phenomenal second half. Um, obviously, people can say, you know, it was the adjustments they make. It, whatever. They just they just played a great game. It was regardless of what they did, regardless of what was said at half, they were being really sticky in coverage. They were giving Mahomes a ton of headaches. And again, I mentioned this earlier, there was a few times where Mahomes just had nothing to do with the ball, and there were sacks created purely by those DBs just being in the hip pockets of those receivers, of those, you know, supposed amazing Chiefs weapons, but they are amazing, don't get me wrong. It was just, their secondary, it's not even like they they were making individual plays, it was more like collective efforts to just blanket the Chiefs weapons. And yeah, the defensive play calling was pretty good, clearly, because it worked out for them. I mean, the play where BJ Hill had that interception was just a good play call. He picked Mahomes. Obviously, but the Bengals sent a corner blitz that forced Patrick's hand. He had to get rid of that ball. And yes, he should have thrown it into the ground, but he's still a young quarterback. He still clearly panics, as we can see from this game. And Joe Burrow is a general. He ha- he has nerves of steel. I don't know what else to say. These dudes just find ways to win, and the Bengals' defense is definitely not something that should be slept on. They're a very, very good unit. They can be very sticky in coverage. Jesse Bates is playing like you know, one of the best safeties in the league, which he has been for some time now, but he's finally playing like it again and playing like it in the time where it matters most. Um, They've got some really, really good corners. Eli Apples, you know, kind of getting clowned a lot on social media, but he's not bad. Uh, Chidobia Wuzier is very, very good. Mike Hilton is one of the best slot corners in the league. Um, Yvonne Bell is a very good complimentary free safety to jesse bates just forgot his name for a second and then of course they have a very very disruptive and good defensive line between bj hill stepping up and making plays in this one we know how good trey hendrickson is sam hubbard had a couple of amazing plays in this one including a couple sacks very late in the game to kind of seal the deal uh one in particular he was spying patrick mahomes and a lot of times when backers especially ones like he's he's an edge rusher he's not he's not a linebacker he is a straight up edge rusher he's a very very big dude um but he was showing his explosiveness his speed on a qb spy where he took patrick mahomes down to the ground so many of those scenarios patrick just kind of like gives him a little shimmy shows their back steps to the left and then it ends up rolling out back to his right and getting the ball out i've seen that on so many occasions but he just couldn't get away from sam hubbard this time um it almost looked like the Mahomes of like injured toe Mahomes, like not quite looking like himself. and Maybe that's why he was panicking a little bit, maybe, but I don't know. I feel like they would have said something by now if that were the case. Um, either way, it's, it doesn't do any good. It's, it just sounds like an excuse at this point. You lost the game. Mahomes was extremely professional about, you know, taking a lot of the blame for this loss as I believe he should. But again, it's not like it was all on his fault. You can't just blame one single person for this utter collapse of you know, being up by eighteen points to losing by three. You can't just blame him. There's other guys in this too. You gotta blame the coaching staff a little bit, um, for again staying away from the run and being very predictable with their play calling. And again, you have to give credit to the Bengals defense, their secondary, their linebackers, everyone. They're just again, it was a great collective effort by the Bengals defense. And I'm obviously not expecting anyone to just hang it up in the AFC championship game, but it has to be extremely discouraging going but down by 18 to a team that's made the Super Bowl the last two years and is considered one of the, you know, new dynasties in the league. It has to be a very big, you know, toll to answer, and they absolutely did it. And again, Joe Burrow just keeps on winning, keeps on finding ways to win, again, even if it's not the prettiest, even if his stats aren't the best, which it's not like they were bad. And of course, he had a pick in this one, so it wasn't all, you know, sunshines and rainbows. but. All that matters is, you know, some of Brady's career hasn't been shown signs and rainbows either. He only dropped 13 points in the super bowl just a few years ago and he ended up winning that game. So again, as long as you're finding ways to win, you're finding ways to win. And Joe burrow is most definitely finding plenty of ways to win. Let's talk about this next game. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the ins and outs and the play by play as much in this game Um, because you know, there wasn't as much offense and I don't know. Whatever. Let's, let's just get into it. Rams versus 49ers. Obviously, let me just say the Rams all-in mentality, this whatever you want to call it, all-in, win now, windows open, however you want to say it, um, it's seriously paying off right now. They. Von Miller made a lot of big plays in this one. Aaron Donald is just fucking crazy. We know how crazy Aaron Donald is. Jalen Ramsey um, had a couple of plays in this one. It's just, it's pretty cool. And it's awesome in a way that we kind of get to see this team that, you know, is so all in and win now, like I was saying, um, pay off because there's so many times where, you know, or I guess there was so many times throughout the season that we were saying, like, what if this doesn't work? Uh, what if they can't bring it all together? But then there was also the people saying, what if they can? And now we're really seeing them, you know, bringing it all together. You know really being effective obj had a really really big game in this one um obviously another move they made this year uh, however you want to say it, it's just really fun to watch it's got to feel extremely rewarding for the rams themselves and rams fans and it's just cool to see it's it's cool to see matthew stafford be in the league this long finally make a super bowl it's cool to see obj in a super bowl uh jalen ramsey gets to sp- play in a super bowl because um, obviously he wasn't on the rams the first time around aaron donald's playing in another super bowl uh he really wants to add a ring to that legacy because again what else does he have to prove all he's got left <laughs> to put in that shelf in that trophy cabinet whatever you want to say is the lombardi trophy so um which by the way i'm going to preview that game next wednesday i'm really not going to go over that game in this podcast, because then I wouldn't really have a lot to talk about next week. And I would just be uploading an episode, um, you know, a week and a half before the Super Bowl, So I don't really see a point in that. I'm just gonna focus this episode on previewing, or excuse me, reviewing championship weekend. And then I'm gonna talk about my top 10 favorite prospects in this upcoming NFL draft, because draft season, it's, it's among us, it's among us. And I'm extremely excited for it. I fucking love draft season. It's one of my favorite times of year. Um, even though I'm not the biggest college football fan, I don't really watch that much college football because there's just honestly, there's too much to watch. Um, I love the athletes coming out of college. I think it's extremely intriguing. And I love just as, a, as someone who's just an, a massive fan of football anytime in the off season where I can watch you know endless amounts of film on different players um, that I'm unfamiliar with and just learn more about the sport. I'm extremely excited to do that. So definitely looking forward to getting more into that, especially after the Super Bowl between February and um, April when the excuse me when the NFL draft is in Vegas this year. I would be very much looking forward to watching a lot of those films. And these rankings will be updated. I'll make a couple mock drafts in the meantime. They'll probably be either on my YouTube channel or on this podcast somewhere. Um, regardless, you guys will know when that will be out. Let's get back into this game. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. Um, Again, not going to get into the much of the play-by-play like I did for the last game. This one was just a lot uglier. There's a lot less, let's say, offensive firepower in this one. Uh, the Niners defense, they played a really, really great first half. I mean, they played a great game, let's be honest. Other than, you know, a few, I'll, I'll get to that. They, they played a good game. They did. The Niners defense really did play a good game. Uh, but the Rams had a game plan that worked. It maybe didn't lead to you know a sexy thirty-four to ten blowout win, but they won nonetheless. And how they did that is honestly how I've been saying they should, they should have they should be forcing this team to beat them all season long. Excuse me, a little bit of a stutter there. But they made Jimmy G beat them. That's that's it's it wasn't that fancy. It wasn't that intricate, but. They did something not a lot of teams have done successfully this year, and you got to give them a ton of credit for that. They slowed down the entire core of the Niners' offense, and that is the run game. Eli Mitchell, although he had an excellent receiving day, he broke a ton of tackles receiving. I believe he had three catches for 50 yards, if that's right off the top of my head. Um, But he only had 11 carries for 20 yards. Debo was seven carries for 26 yards. And they just said, hell no, you are not going to run us today, Jimmy G. You're going to have to beat us with the." with your arm. It almost didn't work for the Rams because the Niners are just that talented, they're that well coached. And again, their defense is just that nasty. Um, but I mean, it's not like the Rams went ran particularly well either, but their quarterback just you know made plays in key situations. Jimmy Garoppolo did not. The Cooper Cup touchdown in particular from Matthew Stafford was just a thing of beauty. A lot of people were giving Uh, I believe it was Jimmy Ward, actually no, I think it was Jacqueezy, Jacqueezy, Tart. I believe it was Tart that was in coverage on that one in Cooper Cup, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name again because I'm just going to sound like I'm trying to make fun of him, Um, but I'm not, I I literally don't know how to say that guy's name, Um, sorry, a little sip, Uh, I completely lost my train of thought, oh yeah, I was talking about the route, of course, a little corner post route by Cooper Cup it wasn't bad defense. Um, A lot of people are giving Tart a little bit of slack for that play as well on top of, you know, the bad defensive play, which I'll get to after I talk about this one. Um, But honestly, I just think it was just a perfect route by Cooper Cup. The way he showed, see, this is where I'm really looking forward to getting a YouTube channel because I can actually talk over this play as I'm explaining it. Um, And maybe you guys will see this if it is on YouTube. I'm not quite sure how that all is going to work yet. Um, I got a bunch of homework I got to do today. If I can get that all out of the way, maybe I'll find time to upload this to YouTube. But that, regardless, Cooper Cup just absolutely gave that DB nothing. He just ran straight up the field. He planted his left foot extremely hard, cut it right as fast as he could, and just looked so smooth while doing it. And then Jacqueezy, actually, I need to stop calling by his first name because I don't know if I'm saying it right and I probably sound like either A, an asshole or B, a dumbass, or a little bit of both. So Tart um, actually caught up to him decently well. After that, even got his hands on the ball once it was already in Cooper Cup's handsbook. it was just too late. Cooper Cup is just a clamp. He's not dropping a ball like that. And it was just a tremendous play by quarterback wide receiver. Just, you could see all that chemistry was displayed in that one play. Uh, the route was absolutely phenomenal. And it's that connection that, you know, has gotten, to that, gotten them to this point and it's that connection that's breaking all sorts of records right now. And it is poetry in motion. is extremely fun to watch. And Cooper Cup is, you know, hands down the best receiver in the league this year because of reasons like that. Um, so I guess we can talk about that Tart. I almost tried to say his first name again. Is it Jaquizzi? Jac j- j- Jaquizi Hold up. Tart. Jaquizki? Jaquizki? I don't know. I'm going to shut the fuck up. Uh so Tart <laughs> let's talk about that dropped interception he had. Let's let's uh let's let's get into that one. If you don't know Tart dropped Jaquizee J- Tart dropped a sure interception late in the fourth quarter where the Niners were still up 17 to 14 and the Rams had no timeouts left. Uh that drive ended up tying the game with the field goal at 17-17. The Rams or excuse me The Niners got the ball back and then the Niners (laughs) got the ball back, had a three and out. The Rams got the ball back, got another field goal and that's all she wrote. We know the rest. Jimmy Garoppolo got the ball back. That's when that horrendous pick six happened or not pick six, whatever it was. That's when that horrendous pick happened. It wasn't a pick six. Um, And you know, they ended up sealing the game, Rams win it. and. I'm just saying if the Niners, if Tart, I almost fucking said his first name again, but I'm not going to try it. If Tart sees that opportunity, who knows? Maybe they could have run out of the clock. Maybe they could have marched down the field, got another field goal rather than putting up no points for the rest of the game. And then, I mean, again, it's just, it's just, who knows? Who, who knows what could have happened? But one thing that everyone can know for sure, it would have helped them a hell of a lot and it would have made that dub a lot a lot a lot easier. So missed opportunity there. And again, just bad quarterback play by the Niners. It's really going to become where is Jimmy G gonna play next year. Um I'll talk about that more in future episodes. I don't really want to get into that now. I kind of just want to focus on these games and what's in front of me. Um talk about some of these favorite recruits in this NFL draft. We'll talk about the Jimmy G deal in a little bit. I'm sure he's not going to be traded for a little bit once he is. Um, but again by saying that, I'm kind of implying that he's not going to be on the roster. Would I be entirely surprised if he was on the roster last year and they just wanted to keep grooming Dre, gr- grooming Trey Lance? That was a weird tongue twister thing that I just dealt with. Um, no, no, I guess I wouldn't. I think Trey Lance is extremely raw. Um, if you guys know me, you guys don't r- really, or excuse me, if you guys know me, you guys know that I don't really have the highest expectations for Trey Lance. Um, I still think, He has all the talent in the world. He has all the tools, Um, but I just haven't liked any of the film he's put out this year. Um, Obviously, some of his film at North Dakota State kind of stood out, but again, he was just a very much raw prospect. He looks a lot like a Malik Willis from this year's draft. Um, He has his moments, but I just don't really see it right now, and if they barely got involved if they barely got him involved at all this year, which of course they did, um, I think that's very much telling to how they feel about him. And this Jimmy I mean, this Jimmy, whoa, this locker room, <laughs> this I was gonna say this Jimmy really seems to like a locker room. Um, this locker room really, really seems to like Jimmy Garoppolo. They really seem to gravitate around him. Um obviously Devo Samuel is praised for him, Trent Williams has praised him, Kyle Shanahan himself has praised him, but I think at a certain point, um, with everything you invested in that future. Uh, I think you just have to, you know, and of course the cap hit that Jimmy G is going to give you, it's going to free up a shit ton if he's not on your roster uh, next year. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept him around. I just think it's definitely something to think about. And I think they're more likely going to end up with Trey Lance as their starter in 2022 rather than Jimmy Garoppolo. That's all I'm going to say about that one. So of course this leaves the Bengals versus the Rams in the Super Bowl. As I already said earlier, I'm going to talk about this more on next Wednesday's episode. Um, I'm just, just to preview some of my points so you guys can look forward to it. I'm going to talk about the Bengals secondary and how they can contain Cooper Cup and OBJ in a similar way to they did against Kansas City in the second half. I'm going to talk about what Matthew Stafford needs to do in order for his team to win this game. Um, I'm going to talk about in my opinion, the greatest key matchup of this one, which is how can the Bengals offensive line and their pass protection slow down the Rams pass rush? That's going to be a very key component to this game um, because if Aaron Donald is in Joe Burrow's lap every other snack, snack, every other snap, I commend sack and snap. Um, then it's going to be a very long day for him. Vaughn Miller could have a very big one in this one. And maybe I'll even talk about some odds in that one could von miller be winning his second super bowl mvp i don't know could aaron donald be winning the super Bowl mvp yeah probably maybe yeah that that would be a bet i'd be looking at for sure um (laughs) regardless let's get into this last segment of this episode i'm going to be talking about my top 10 prospects from this year's nfl draft class um this is very much different and not where i think they should be drafted or this is not a mock draft this is not um what I would do if I was a team and I had the first overall pick. This is not what I'm trying to say. This is purely by a prospect rank. This is at their position. Are is this player a better player than this player at their given position, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So just keep that in mind. This is not a mock draft. This is not where I think they should be drafted. This is purely rankings by not even by position because then I'd be breaking down these positions. This is purely rankings. That's it. That There's no other way to describe it. Rankings as prospects. How I see those guys comparatively at their position of play versus other guys at their respective position of play. That's it. All right. Make sense? All right. Let's start at 10 and let's go down to one because it, I don't know, it sounds more dramatic. At number 10, I have George Loftus, edge rusher from Purdue. This guy is a very, very high motor guy. He's possibly the highest production of the top three edge rushers in this class being, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious who everyone's got of their top three, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon. And then obviously George Loftus is my third guy on that list. He's a lot bigger than some of them. I think he's going to be very NFL ready. Um, immediately. I think he's more NFL ready than some of these other guys. He's got a little less tools in terms of athleticism and maybe a little less upside than some of those guys, but he is just rock solid. I think he's going to transition to the NFL very, very well, especially if you're going to end up in a situation like, I don't know, I've seen some people mocking him to The Broncos, I really like him to develop on a team like the Eagles, something like that. Um, I could even see a team like the Ravens taking him or maybe Minnesota, something like that. Um, even though I kind of really like the idea of David Njabo going to Minnesota, well, not really as a Bears fan, but as a fan of football and as a fit system, I really like David Ojabo ended up there and learning from Daniel Hunter because they're both such raw prospects coming out. And they're very similar in a lot of ways. Whatever. This is about George Karl Loftus right now. I really, really like George Karloftis. He's very, very strong, very, very powerful. He can be effective rushing the passer and against the run and he's, again, just a massive human being for playing defensive end. Um, He's going to have an impact right away, and I think he's going to be a very, very good pick in this year's draft. Again, my 10th ranked prospect could possibly be a top 10 pick just based off positional value. We obviously know how important Edge Rusher is, and for that reason, he could go as high as, I don't know, like six to the Giants. I could see him going seven to... uh, no, six is, six is the Panthers, seven to the Giants. That's what I meant to say. Anyways, let's get on to my number nine, my ninth ranked prospect, excuse me. I've got Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU. A lot of people are very, very high on Stingley. I would say it's one of those po- prospects that's a bit polarizing in a way. He put outstanding, probably some of the best film from a cornerback I've ever seen in my entire life, his freshman year at LSU. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. Obviously, he was a freshman there obviously you were hoping to see him expand and grow and be better and better and better the older he got. That really wasn't the case with this prospect. He put on decently subpar. I mean, that's pushing a little bit. His tape was significantly worse his sophomore and junior year than it was his freshman year. I'll just say it that way. That's the easiest way I can put it. He was definitely a step back from those days and you expect him to get back to that but this guy has all the tools of a modern cornerback obviously if he ends up at a defensive mastermind again i think a perfect spot for him if he happens to fall that far which again some people are mocking him as high as you know three or four to guys like the jets and houston stuff like that which i mean i guess there's some there's definitely some uh reason there. I could definitely see him ending up at a team like the Jets, but I think if they are going to take him, it's going to be more like the number 10th pick rather than their fourth pick in this year's draft. But I really like him in in a concept like if he ends up with the Ravens and he can learn from Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and those guys, I would love that. If he can end up in a spot like the Vikings and really develop under Patrick Peterson and pair with some of those other young, young cornerbacks he has there, I really like the idea of that as well. But again, more so about the prospect. This guy is just a f- freak athlete. He's very fluid with his hips. Um, he has proven he can done a whole lot. He needs to shore up his tackling a little bit, but let's be honest, a lot of guys coming out of college don't really show that strength unless you're just the exception. Um, he's my number two corner on this list. Um, I have a feeling you guys know who my number one is going to be if Derek Stingley is my number two, but he's only my number two because again, the past two years, he didn't quite put up the film that the guy I have right above him. At number eight, it's actually not the cornerback yet. Um, I've got Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah. Uh, I know what you guys are thinking. Do you have him higher than Nakobe Dean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I just think Devin is a little bit more of an NFL Linebacker, I think Nakobe's size is going to hurt him throughout the draft process a little more. And I like, they're pretty similar. Devin Lloyd is, um, I would say, a little more heady. I don't really know if that's the right term. He seems to play with a little more wit and intelligence. Nakobe Dean is just a twitched-up super athlete that tends to go off instincts a lot more. Um, but Devin Lloyd just is a little more rangier to me. He's a little bigger. He can do everything that Nakobe can just a little bit more twitched up and i think that a lot of teams are going to fall in love with his intelligence of the game it's very clear he's a student of the game a very very smart player out there because on top of the instincts he already shares he's constantly helping out his teammates not that nicobe dean isn't um and again nicobe dean is a fucking missile i think these guys are kind of one a and one b you can almost swap them out um i almost put nicobe dean at my 10 spot instead of george Karloftis, but I ended up sticking with George Karloftis and Derek Stingley at nine and 10. But again, they're, they're right next to each other. I don't think you can go wrong with either one of these linebackers. I just like the size that Devin has a little bit more, um, but they're very similar prospects, uh, very fluid hips. Uh, Devin is a little bit better in coverage in my opinion. I think the Kobe is a little bit more of a missile against the run, but I think Devin's intelligence is going to translate very, very well to the NFL. Like I've stated time and time again, um, sorry, I'm kind of fucking repeating myself. I know. Um, And so I think with that intelligence, he's going to be able to slow down the run enough and he's going to get better and better at it the longer he is in the league. My number seven prospect, I'm pretty sure you guys already know who this is going to be, is Ahmad Sauce Gardner, cornerback from Cincinnati. He is an absolute fucking stud. He put on some of the best film for a DB of this past year outside of one guy, in my opinion. I've got one DB higher than him. You guys, again, can probably guess who that is. Um, But he is just long. He is rangy. I believe he's 6'3", 200 pounds, and he flies around the football field quarter, uh, opposing quarterbacks this last season. He doesn't really have the picks numbers he you, know, you kind of want to see from a guy like this, but that's purely because guys just weren't throwing his way. He's a shutdown, lockdown corner. Put up much better film than Derek Stingley this last year, and I think he's going to transition to the NFL very, very well. Again, uh, some of the fits I can see him being in is similar to a guy like Derek Stingley, um, teens that need corner and teens that, you know, can develop corners very well. If he ends up with a team like the Ravens and they have Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and this guy who is kind of a Marley Humphrey type because he's so long and physical and fast. Um, fuck, that is going to be a very, very, very scary secondary to throw against. Um, I think he can go as high as the top five. I would not be surprised if something like that happens. I don't think it will, but again, I won't be surprised. Crazy, Much crazier things have happened in recent um, you know, NFL draft history, if you will. So I think this, I, it's just, I absolutely love this prospect. I think anyone looking for a press man to man corner is going to get an absolute stud in a mod sauce Gardner, moving on to my number six prospect. Prospect and I'm gonna fuck up this guy's name because I always do. I have Akeem Oquanu. O- Equanu? Equanu. I don't know. Offensive tackle from North Carolina State. This guy is a freak. This guy is a freak among freaks. He is he is so versatile. He is so strong. He is so powerful. He is maybe not as good against the, uh, uh, pass blocking, excuse me, as he is in run blocking, but man, this guy is a surefire hit. I don't have a doubt in my mind. He's going to be very good. He can slip out from guard and tackle. He can play a ton of positions along the line. Um, and he is just a freak athlete. He is probably my favorite offensive line prospect in this year's draft. I do have one guy ranked or two guys ranked above him actually. Um, but I still think he is just an absolute stud and he's going to be so damn fucking good for whatever team he get he ends up going to. At number five, I have Kayvon Thibodeau Edge from Oregon. Um, this is one of those guys that has every single tool in the book. He checks every single box that a team would want in an NFL edge rusher, but there's one that maybe has a smaller check than the rest and it's just his straight up productivity. Uh, He was dealing with a lot of injuries his last year there at Oregon and you were really expecting to see his, you know, breakout blow up season there. Um, So that was a little disappointing, but again, just he's, he's got everything. He's got length. He's got bend. Um, He's a little stiff in the hips at time. I think Aiden Hutchinson is kind of a little bit more fluid there, Um, but he can punch arms. He's extremely powerful. Um, he's shown a ton of potential at Oregon and obviously it sounds like NFL draft scouts love him for good reason. There's not a whole lot to love to love there. And he has been a very, very exciting prospect ever since he came out of high school. So Kayvon Thibodeau is my number five guy at number four. I have Evan Neal offensive tackle, Alabama. I mean, what is there to say? Everyone knows Evan Neal. Everyone knows he is a gargantuan human being. Everyone knows that he is extremely, extremely athletic for his size. Everyone knows that he can go from right tackle to left tackle to guard. He can play a ton of spots among the offensive line. I really like the fit of him in Jacksonville with the number one overall pick, and I can't blame him at all if they end up going that direction. I think it'd be a great move to protect their future and Trevor Lawrence. But even if he doesn't go there, um, this guy – Should absolutely be a top five pick. He is just that good of a talent at that important of a position, and he is going to be a very, very good tackle for a long time in the NFL. Moving on to my number three prospect and my number one ranked offensive lineman, I have Tyler Linderbaum, center from Iowa. I was actually very, very tempted to make this guy my number one prospect because. I mean, again, this is position by position comparing one guy at a respective position to another. This guy is by far and away the best center in college football, and it's not even close. He is an absolute fucking monster. He can do everything. He can play all kinds of schemes. Um, he can run the hell over you in run blocking. He can just a pancake block machine. He kind of looks like Quentin Nelson playing center a little bit, if that makes sense, um, because he can pull well. He is very, very smart, clearly. Um, his athleticism is very good for his size and he can pass protect extremely well. Um, it's clear that he has some very good football intelligence too, with the way they were playing him at Iowa and all the tasks they had him doing at the line of scrimmage. I've got a very itchy nose. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see me scratching. Um, but yeah, he is just a fucking dog. Obviously the center position is a lot less valuable than a lot of other these guys. So I could definitely see him falling in this draft. I have a lot, I've seen a lot of people mocking, um, excuse me, him to the Eagles. That would be absolutely incredible if they can go from Jason Kelsey, a surefire hall of famer, in my opinion, to Tyler Lindebaum, who, I mean, could very well easily be a hall of famer with all the film he's put on and how amazing he's looked in college. Jesus Christ, I have an itchy fucking nose. Oh, um, but yeah, he is just so damn good i'm very excited to see this guy in the nfl at number two i have aiden hutchinson edge from michigan i don't really think i've got to say anything about this guy everyone knows how goddamn good aiden hutchinson is everyone knows that aiden hutchinson is beloved by a ton of you know football scouts along the nfl everyone knows that he's been compared to the bosa brothers obviously he's not quite there i don't think anyone is as nfl ready as the bosa brothers when they came out of ohio state but there's a lot of similarities there just Huge frame, extremely powerful, a little more fluid with the hips than Kayvon Thibodeau, like I was mentioning earlier, and my number one edge in this year's draft. Again, would not be opposed if you went first overall. I like the Evan Neal move a little bit more for Trevor Lawrence, but you can absolutely not go wrong with Aiden Hutchinson, and he might end up in the Motor City, and that would be a great fit too. My number one prospect from this year's draft, again, This does not mean he's going to be taken number one overall. This doesn't even mean he's going to be a top five pick just because of the position he plays. But in my opinion, position by position, he is the absolute best player coming out of this year's draft. It's Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. I was not expecting to put him here at number one when I decided to myself I was going to make this list. But after comparing him to other prospects, after watching a bit of his film, um, this dude is just he is so good. He is, he reminds me of Jamal Adams coming out of LSU that can cover even better. He is just a freak athlete. He is all over the fucking field. He flies up and down. He is not scared to do anything, any assignment that is thrown his way. He is just a damn good football player. I I hope you guys know what I'm trying to say about that, but he just does everything. He'll line up down low in the box. He's rangy enough to play free he can cover a tight end. He can be one-on-one with a receiver. He is, he'll blow you the hell up behind the line of scrimmage. He's great blitzing. He is just one of these modern day safeties that just can do anything you want. It's just, seeing him with Bill Belichick would be just so such a match made in heaven and so goddamn fun to watch but he's kind of got that Jer- derwin james about him um he seems like a leader on the field as well i have a feeling some team is just going to absolutely fall in love with him i've seen projections taking him as high as you know third overall to the texans and all these you know scenarios like that which i know i guess excuse me, i just cannot be opposed to because again He is just such a phenomenal talent and safety is becoming more and more um, impactful in today's league with all the cover two and cover three that's being ran and how everyone just likes to air it out. So I have very, very high hopes for Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. He's going to be an extremely good NFL player and I'm very excited to watch him on Sundays. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This was a little bit longer of an episode. If you guys enjoyed that content of me talking about the top 10 prospects in this upcoming NFL draft, be sure to stay tuned because I will have mock drafts coming out soon. And again, hopefully I'll have this up on YouTube. So if you guys are seeing this, hopefully you enjoyed, be sure to leave a like, subscribe and share with your friends. If this isn't on YouTube, then just go follow my Instagram at professional sports talk. You'll know when my YouTube channel is up and follow me there. Turn on your notifications for the podcast for future episodes. And I appreciate each and every single one of you. Have a great day, guys. Peace.